All right, good evening, good evening. Uh, appreciate you joining with us once again uh, tonight. And uh, we are class number five already. Um, I was on the phone with somebody a little earlier and I was like, you know, um, it's already September the 16th and I'm not sure what happened to August. So, But anyway, time is moving on and I am thankful, praise God, uh, for the goodness of God in the land of the living and I'm thankful for you tonight. I appreciate your faithfulness and your commitment uh, to the classes. I hope that you are kind of falling into the, the rhythm. You know, sometimes it takes us a minute or two to adjust uh, to something new in our lives and uh, especially if you've never uh, been a part of a, of a class this long. Uh, when I went through UAB, they were on a quarter system and most every class uh, that I had was a two-hour class, which uh, they've changed that structure since. But um, uh, I found out later that, that a two-hour class is not necessarily optimal uh, for folks. But I believe it's important for us because, again, we're not just <coughs> learning, but we're building the, the character and the ability uh, to endure sound doctrine and to discipline ourselves as disciples to set our focus on the things of God, spiritual things, things of the Spirit, and, uh, and endure and persist in that. Praise God. All right, so let me uh, pray for you. I'm going to pray for our, our brothers and sisters uh, down uh, south of us. Um, my uh, uh, nephew and family there, they came on up. They evacuated, uh, talked to, uh, texted with Brother Richard Presswood today, and uh, he said it's a disaster zone, but they're good down there, so they're okay. And uh, don't expect anything but words of, of faith and, and, uh, and uh, positivity from that brother. Praise God. So, but um, let's, uh, let's pray for our folks down on the coast and others that are in the path of this storm and uh, pray over our, our class time together tonight. Father, thank you for your love and I thank you, Father, for your hand upon uh, those who are uh, in the way, in the pathway of, of this storm. Uh, Father, I thank you that uh, you are protecting them and, and not just their, their lives, but, but Father, their property. And uh, Lord, I thank you that anything that may have been damaged or lost, Father, in this storm will be restored to them uh, a hundredfold. We thank you, Lord, for our family of faith, Lord, that, that lives down uh, in, in that part of the state. Uh, and Lord, we just uh, speak a special blessings of strength and encouragement over them tonight. Lord, thank you for our time together once again in your word. Thank you, Father, for those who have made this uncommon commitment, Lord, to discipleship in general and to these classes in particular. I thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit is with us tonight. We acknowledge him as our teacher, and we thank you, Father, that uh, he is going to lead us and guide us into the truth that you have prepared for us tonight. Lord, I thank you that you're doing something inside of us. Your word is living and powerful and it's producing results, uh, intended results, Father, in our lives as we give ourselves to it and give place to your word uh, in our lives by committing uh, these next couple hours or so, Lord, uh, to you. So thank you for a wonderful time tonight. Lord, as I pray over those who are participating in this class right now, Father, I, I look beyond them and I say thank you, Father, for all of the men and women that these men and women are going to make a difference in the lives of. In other words, Father, they're becoming better equipped to become more effective in doing the work of the ministry. And Father, I know that there are countless numbers of men and women who are going to be ministered to because of what you're doing in the hearts and lives of those that are tuning in right now. So we thank you for good things now, Father, and we believe you, Father, for good things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. All right, so the subtitles for tonight, and, and um, we always you know, put a title on these, but usually it's after the fact. 
Uh, we're doing this for a couple of reasons. One, just for organization, also, uh, you know, for trying to be focused um, on, on what we're doing and what we're talking about. Uh, sometimes I get in front of you, my heart is so full of, of what the Lord, you know, is doing and the things that He's showing me and teaching me that it's very easy sometimes for me to, you know, go down some, some pig trails and things of that nature. So tonight, if, if nothing more, we want, we're going to cover the sections uh, called Save for a Purpose and Touching Two Worlds. So Save for a Purpose and Touching Two Worlds going to be the focus of our time together in the Word this evening. And praise God, I, you know, we grow and learn together, and, and that's the Lord's way. And uh, so I'm excited about uh, you growing, me growing uh, individually, but I'm also excited about us growing and learning together tonight. Amen. So just a real, real quick review of the things we talked about last week. We said that um, an eternal God created you for an eternal purpose. An eternal God created you for an eternal purpose. And we looked at you know, verses Old Testament and New Testament that uh, confirm that. Uh, we also, last week... Uh, covered uh, this truth, and that is, you are generation Christ. Uh, the, prophet asked, uh, the prophet Isaiah asked, who will declare Jesus' generation? Who will carry on for him after he uh, has suffered this horrible death? And of course, we know that we are that generation that is carrying on his assignment and his mission upon the earth. And then, this has been a statement that I just want to continue to reinforce Every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. Every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. And it's important that we distinguish the difference between you know, someone that, that uh, is operating in the office of a pastor, for an example, a teacher, apostle, a prophet, a prophet, or an evangelist. Uh, the men and women who occupy those offices of ministry are assigned to do several things, as it's spelled out to us in the book of Ephesians. And one of the things that the men and women in those five ministry offices are assigned to do is equip every born-again believer to do the work of the ministry. So it's important for us to realize this, accept this, embrace this, lean into this, and recognize that ministry is not something we have to do, but it's something that we get to do. In the Old Testament, you could have wanted to be a minister and wanted to serve in the, in, in the temple and the things of God, but if you weren't born into the right family, if you, if you were in the right position, uh, you were just going to be on the outside looking in. But thank God in this New Testament that we now experience and enjoy and live in, every born-again uh, believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. Or let me say it another way. Praise God. Jesus said, i got to be about my father's business. i got to be about my daddy's business. So we're not just servants, and we certainly have the opportunity to be friends, but we're also members of the family. We are members of the body of Christ. And so we are a part of the family business. Uh, Jesus said, i got to be about my dad's business. Guess what? Jesus' dad and my dad are the same dad. So just like my big brother Jesus was a part of and doing, carrying out his father's business, we have that same opportunity and privilege place before us. Now, um, I want to, as, as we kind of get into some new material tonight, I, I want to uh, draw your attention to one of the things that the Bible, you know, describes to us, explains to us, spells out, you know, for us concerning uh, our growth and development and maturity as men and women of God, as, as born-again people, as children of God. And we see in Scripture 
that the same stages of growth and development for uh, a, a physical uh, you know, child, my, my grandson just turned 20 months old, so you know, he's gone from an infant you know, to, a, to a toddler or what the Bible calls a child, uh, and then we go you know, from infant to child, from child to adult. And, and the Bible uses those same uh, terms uh, to describe our spiritual growth and development, our spiritual maturing and developing. In other words, the Bible says there are those who, even though they're born again, they're still as spiritual babes, spiritual babies. There are those, although they've been born again, they're still more like spiritual children. And then we see that there are those who have reached maturity, or what the Bible would call a, a spiritual adult, one, one who has uh, you know, grown up in to Jesus. So I bring that to your attention tonight because when we speak about every born-again believer called to do the work of the ministry, we see that doing the work of the ministry uh, is one of the ways that we grow. And so if you follow the progression, we said that discipleship serves as a bridge from your new birth to the fulfill, you know, receiving salvation to the fulfillment of your purpose and destiny uh, in Father's kingdom. And we see that while we commit to that discipleship process, we see that, that Jesus' disciples, remember He told them to pray for people to go do the work of the ministry, and as they committed themselves to be His disciples, that they actually became the ministers that they prayed for. But there's a very important uh, connection between discipleship and ministry and, and growing up into the things of God. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is, if we're unwilling to do the work of the ministry, that in and of itself is going to prevent us uh, from growing and developing spiritually, from maturing um, spiritually. So let's, let's just kind of break this down, talk about it for just a moment. When um, we are young and immature, so, you know, infant, toddler, um, our growth and development is completely dependent upon those who serve and care for us. Okay, so we need somebody to, uh, you know, fix a bottle for us, put the bottle in our mouths, hold the bottle, change our diapers. So, young and immature, our growth and development is dependent upon those who serve and care for us. But we reach a point in both our physical as well as our spiritual development where continued growth depends upon taking the step of doing things for ourselves. So if, if, a, if a child, now a child can progress in age, become older and bigger, you know, in size, uh, but if the parents who are raising that child, uh, you know, always do for that child, you know, things that that child should be and could be doing for, for him or herself, then that's going to hinder uh, that child's growth and development. So when we're young and immature, we're completely dependent upon those who serve and care for us. But as we grow, we reach a point in both our physical and spiritual development where continued growth depends upon taking the step of doing things for ourselves. And then a giant step, a giant step towards greater maturity is when you move beyond yourself and serve someone else. And so I believe that you will never grow and develop in the things of God as you should until you take this step. Okay? 
So again, a, a giant step towards maturity is when you move beyond um, you know, yourself, only you know, doing things for yourself, uh, or having somebody else do something for you, and you take that next step of, of serving others, ministering to others, doing for others. And so again, I'm going to say it, you'll never grow and develop until you take this step. So let's kind of review some of this. You know, three stages of growth. Um, pardon the misspelling on babies there, amen. So babies uh, are babyists. No, babies um, are totally dependent upon others to prepare and feed them their food. Children need someone to help prepare their food, but can feed themselves. Adults can prepare a meal and feed it to others. So I want you to think about this not just in terms of physical growth, but in, in, in terms of your own growth and development in the things of God. In other words, you know, locate yourself. Where are you right now? Are you completely dependent upon somebody else to prepare a spiritual meal from the Word of God and serve it to you? Or can you know, feed it to you, spoon feed you, you know, the, the milk of the Word as the Bible says? Or are you in a position where if somebody kind of points you in the right direction that you will take your Bible and, and, and study it and, 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 and use the, you know, the, the promptings, if you will, uh, of this class or others that you may be a part of to, to feed yourself? Uh, but then the real question is, have you gotten to a point in your growth and development where, where you can serve the Word of God? You can, you can do things, prepare a meal for the Word of God and feed it to other people, all right? So I know I've said this in a couple of different forms. I'm going to say it one more time. Ministering to others is necessary for spiritual growth and development. I gave you some statistics last week about, you know, like you know, this huge percentage of people in the body of Christ uh, when surveyed say they have no interest whatsoever in participating in any kind of ministry. Well, what, what really makes me sad for those folks is uh, refusing to participate in ministry is going to cap their ability to grow and develop in the things of God because ministering to others is necessary for spiritual growth and development. I'm going to say it one more time. Ministering to others. If you're interested in spiritual growth, there are different things that you can do, different things that I can do to grow spiritually. But if we never take that huge step of ministering to others, serving others, doing for others, right? No matter what else we, uh, no matter how many Bible verses we memorize, no matter how many sermons we listen to, you know, no matter how many church services we attend, no matter how many worship CDs you know, we download on our, our smartphones uh, and, and know by heart, if, if, you are, if you refuse to take the step of doing something for somebody else, it's going to cap your growth and prevent you from breaking into the greater levels of maturity and development as a child of God. Okay, now, we have been saved for a purpose. Okay, we have been saved for a purpose. When I say saved, I'm talking about being born again. I'm talking about receiving salvation. We were given the gift of salvation for a purpose. Far too many view their salvation as the end of a journey instead of the beginning of a journey. In, in other words, a lot of people view their salvation as an end to itself. It's, it's almost like, I finally got saved, and now we're just going to hang on by the hair of our chinny-chin-chin chin until Jesus comes back or we wake up one morning in heaven. Well, 
Amen. That's a wrong way to look at this. Salvation is, is the end of your old life, but it's the beginning of your new life. Amen. Some only view, just I'm not saying that's you. Matter of fact, I pray that it's not. But some only view the purpose for, the, for their salvation as a means of getting into heaven one day when they die. So you, you ask people, you know, uh, what, what was God trying to, to do for you when He saved you? What was God trying to produce in your life when He saved you? Um, and and you, know, you get different answers, but, but so many people talk about, you know, now that I'm saved, uh, I'm not going to go to hell when I die, but I'm going to go to heaven. And listen, that's something to celebrate, my brother. Sister, I'm telling you, thank God we've been saved from a devil's hell. Thank God we're going to live forever one day uh, in, in heaven. And, and that is something to get excited about. But if that's the only concept that you have when it comes to the purpose of your salvation, then there is a lot of learning that you need to do. And so, I know that, I, I, I mentioned it once already, I'm going to mention it again, that you know, my heart is obviously for every born-again believer, uh, you know, till we all come into that mature person, till we all grow up into Christ. And that's one of my callings, one of my assignments um, as a pastor and teacher in the body of Christ. Um, but I mentioned last week, you know, there's this large percentage of people who are very interested in, in doing the work of the ministry, but they've never, you know, felt like they've had an opportunity or they don't feel like, uh, they know how to do that. And, and so those, those are the folks that, that I'm going after. Uh, you know, those are the, those are the in other words, if we could get that 40% of the body of Christ uh, to roll up their sleeves and get busy doing the work of the ministry, then we will make a tremendous difference uh, in, in this world. So, uh, again, renewing our minds, a fresh perspective, considering things that we've never considered before, looking at things in, in, in a different light, and maybe you've never thought about these things. But when Father saved you, He paid a tremendous price for you. And, and, and when He saved you, He saved you for a purpose. Now, go with me to John, the 17th chapter. Praise God. John, chapter 17. And um, we're going to talk about this for a little while. Praise God. John, chapter 17. And let's begin at uh, verse number 14. John chapter 17 and verse number 14. This is Jesus speaking, and He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. So remember now, time out. This is Jesus praying to His Father for you and me. And, of course, He's praying for us, but, and we get to eavesdrop in on His prayer. This prayer was strategically recorded for us by the Holy Spirit through uh, the Apostle John. But there's a lot to learn. There's a lot of insight to be gained from the prayer that Jesus is praying for us. So one more time, He's saying to His Father, Father, I've given them Your Word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that You should take them out of the world, but that You should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by Your truth. Your Word is truth. Now, we know 
that Jesus came to this world from another world. He came from heaven to the earth. Praise God. Now He's saying that because we belong to Him, in the same way that He was present on the earth, or present on the world, but was not of this world, that we now are in that same position. That we're also in the world, but are not of the world. So I'm going to put that that very important truth on the screen. If you're taking notes, I would advise you to write it down. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. Okay, We are in the world, but we are not of the world. Just like Jesus, our citizenship now is otherworldly. We've been born again. We've been born into Father's kingdom. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And 2 Corinthians says that we are ambassadors now on the earth representing the government of our homeland. So we're in this world, but we are not of the world. And you'll also uh, notice in this passage that this is part of the plan. Father, Jesus praying to His Father, He says, Father, I'm not asking you to remove them from the world, but I'm asking you to keep them. That word keep means to protect, to guard them from the evil one. So we're here tonight in the world, not of the world, because we're on assignment. We, listen, I, my, uh, um, people that I love, my family, my family of faith, you know, friends, what have you, um, you know, if you go a long time without seeing them, you, you start getting ready to see them. Uh, you, you miss them. Uh, people you love, you miss when they're, when they're not present in your life uh, you know, physically for uh, an extended period of time. Um, you know, you're ready for a reunion. You, we have no idea how much our Heavenly Father loves us and how much He longs for us to be with Him. Jesus talked about this in this prayer. Father, I cannot wait for my brothers, my, my followers, my disciples, my friends to be with me in heaven. So there is a longing in the heart of our Heavenly Father for His children to be gathered around Him in heaven. And the only reason that's not happening right now is because we're here for a purpose. We, we're here because we have a job to do. So He says, Father, don't take them out of the world. That's not the plan right now. That day's coming, but it's not right now. So He says, instead of taking them out of this world, I pray that You would keep them from the evil one. And then he gives us this, this uh, verse. Let me put this passage back up. Verse 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Okay, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. That word sanctify means to be set apart. And it doesn't just mean to be set apart from something. It means to be set apart to something else. So we've been set apart from this world and we've been set apart to the kingdom. We've been set apart from darkness. We've been set apart to the light. We've been set apart... Uh, from sin, we've been set apart to righteousness. Uh, I sometimes use this example to, to try to explain to you sanctification. And, and where something is designated for a specific purpose and it's set apart then from all other purposes or uses. And, and, and we have in our family, uh, over the years, Pam has collected uh, some beautiful Christmas dishes. And, you know, Labor Day, when we had some barbecue at the house, we didn't eat off the Christmas dishes. She had some really nice... Uh, you know, red, white, and blue patriotic 
platters, uh, disposable platters for us to eat on uh, at Labor Day and Fourth of July. But when Christmas rolls around, uh, they're all packaged up, up high on a shelf in, in one of the you know, cabinets. We'll get them down. We'll, we'll get them out of their packaging and, and we'll use them. So the idea is they're set apart from daily use. They're set apart from even being used on other special occasions. But they're set apart to Christmas. They're set apart for a, a specific occasion for a specific use. And that's what he's saying when he says, sanctify them by your truth. You, my brother, my sister, have been set apart from this world for a specific use, for a specific occasion. You are Generation Christ. You are that, that nation of priests, that royal priesthood that we talked about last week. Amen. Now, look at verse 18. So this is 14, 15, 16, and 17. Verse 18, I put it on a slide by itself. It says, again, Jesus praying to His Father. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Now, we've looked at this verse, I think, a week or two ago. Um, I bring it back here again tonight. Jesus came from another world to this world on assignment. He was sent to this world. His Father sent, sent Him, commissioned Him into this world. And He says, in the same way that I am not from here, but am here on assignment, they also are not from here, but are here on assignment and I am sending them into the world in the same way and for the same purposes that Jesus was sent into the world. Obviously, uh, the purpose of dying for all humanity is not ours, but we talked about that ministry platform. Amen. I'm not going to go back over all that. Let's go for sake of time. Let's go down now to verse 23, John 17 and 23. He says this. He says, Father, it's I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Wow. So think about what he's saying here. Um, there's, there's still several weeks to go before we really dig into what the Bible teaches along these lines. But as a born-again believer, you are now in Christ. Um, you know, if, if, uh, if I hold my Bible here and, uh, you know, this, this red ribbon, right, it's now... Uh, outside but if I put it in here and close it up now this this ribbon is in this book okay so in the same way you are in Christ you you have put on Christ you are you are in him amen but notice we're in him what, what are those uh, Russian nesting dolls I mean no disrespect but you know you know how that is you you open one and there's another one inside it and then you open that one and there's another one inside that well that's a visualization of what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is in the Father, but because Jesus is in the Father, and now we're in the Father because of the new birth, um, we're also in the Father, and we have become one with Him. Uh, in the same way that Jesus is one with Him, because He's in the Father and the Father's in Him, we're now in Jesus, and Jesus is in us. And while we're in Jesus and Jesus is in us, Jesus is in the Father and the Father's in Him. So do you see how we've been, we've been brought into this thing? Amen. And it's, and, it's, and it's a beautiful thing to understand and know that you are a part of it. Now, a couple of other things I just want to point out to you. Let's take the last one first, and then we'll go to the next one. It'll be a springboard for where we're headed after this. That last phrase, um, that the world may know that you have sent me, 
and have loved them as you have loved me. Wow. You, you, you can spend hours meditating on that, that phrase right there. Do you realize what Jesus is revealing to us in this passage? He's revealing to us that Father loves you the same way He loves Jesus. Or said another way, He loves you with the same love that He loves Jesus with. Man, you, you, know, you may struggle, I know a lot of people do, you may struggle really wrapping your heart and life around the, the reality that, that God loves you. But He doesn't just love you, He loves you like He loves Jesus. Anybody have a problem believing that God the Father loves Jesus, God the Son? I don't think you know, anybody that understands the least little bit about the Godhead and God in the Bible, you know that there is a, a, a love there that's beyond comprehension. Well, the same love that He has for Jesus, He has for you. Right Now, I said there were two things. The, the next one is the phrase in the middle, that the world may know. That the world may know. We have a, a tagline here at Heritage Christian Center. And that tagline is this, so the world may know. So the world may know. All right? um, our simple approach uh, to uh, you know, our family of faith uh, can, can be summed up simply like this. Okay, We exist to know Him and to make Him known. Uh, to know Him, to know the Lord, to walk with God, to know God in spirit and in truth. Um, but then as we know Him, uh, we want to make Him known. So to know Him and to make Him known. And we see here a, a, a really you know, important indicator of what uh, this ministry that we've been called to is all about. It, it's about letting the world know um, do you realize how many people on planet Earth right now have never heard the name of Jesus a single time? Okay, and that's that's kind of you know sad when you think of you know especially those of us who who live here in the southern United States of America, and you know there's churches practically on every corner. Uh, amen. Uh, it's hard for us to comprehend that there are still so many people alive today on planet earth that have never heard a single word about him so the world may know so the world may know amen i hope that you know becomes one of the many rallying cries that that you take away from uh these classes and our time together uh you know rest of this year and part of next uh you know that we're here on planet earth uh, as much as our Heavenly Father wants us there with Him, He's left us here so the world may know. So that we can know Him and make Him known. Think about it. I, I told you uh, in the very first class uh, where Paul talked about his daily walk with God and that effective ministry was an extension of that. You can't, you can't make Him known if you don't know Him. There's a lot of people who try to make Him known who don't walk with Him on a daily basis. And, and people in the world see through that real quickly. Um, so the idea is the closer we walk with Him, the, the more we do life together with Him, the more we know Him, the better position we're in to make Him known to other people. Praise God. So the world may know. Brother Copeland 
said something a few years ago. I heard him. Say, I don't know when he said it, but I heard him say it a few years ago, and it really changed my life. He said one of the assignments of the of the prophet is um, to give the people something to say. Amen. One one of my simple assignments is to give you something to say, and and this is something very important for you to meditate on, hide in your heart, and 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 speak out of your mouth something that will help define your life. Um, I've heard many people over the years uh, muse about, think out loud about, you know, their purpose and destiny. Uh, sometimes people have a close brush with death. I'll be there, visit them in the hospital, and, you know, they'll say something to me like, you know, tears in their eyes, the good Lord must have a reason for me to still be here. Well, absolutely He does. Um, and while those reasons can involve many different uh, details and specifics, they all kind of come back to knowing Him and then making Him known to other people. Now, some in the body of Christ want to be like the world. This is kind of another one of those things you know, for you to locate yourself. Where are you right now? And, and where do you need to be? Where do you need to go from here? Some in the body of Christ still want to be like the world, while others are only interested in escaping the world. You know, they they kind of hole up in churches and have this us for no more mentality, and they don't really interact with anybody, and they're just waiting for Jesus to come back. So some want to be like the world, some want to escape the world, but Jesus left us here to change the world. Do you see the difference in that? It's not about being like the world, and it's not about escaping the world. It's about changing the world. We are here to be spirit-filled, blood-washed, powerfully equipped agents for change in this world. Think about wanting to be like the world, right? You know, you can't want to be like the world and change the world at the same time. It, it, it's, it, it'll just never work. Uh, that's why he said, set them apart to yourself by your word. Your word is truth. Um, and if we'll allow him to set us apart from this world, then this will put us in a position to change the world. I preached a, uh, a message on Sunday it's available on podcast, Vimeo, church website, all that. I'm not, it's free. I'm not trying to sell you anything. But it's called See That You Are Not Troubled. Jesus said, see that you are not troubled. And one of the points that we made in that sermon is that trouble around you cannot lead to trouble in you. Um, because if the trouble gets in you, then you're in no position to change the trouble around you. Jesus slept in the bow of a boat with trouble raging, a, a violent storm raging all around Him. How could He do that? How could He have peace in the midst of that storm? It's because the trouble around Him didn't get in His heart. And as long as He kept the trouble out of His heart, He was in a position to do something about the trouble. And so in the same way, if we will allow the Lord to separate us from the world, this will put us in a position to change the world. If we're trying to be like the world, if we're trying to be friends with the world, if, if we're compromising the Word of God 
to get people to like us in the world, then this diminishes our ability to make a difference in the lives of those around us. Praise God. All right, now let's go to John chapter 3. John, the third chapter. And um, we're going to spend a minute or two here in John chapter 3. Praise God. Um, I was in John turned all the way to Luke. Here we go. Praise God. All right, John, the third chapter. I'll give you a minute to turn there. I know sometimes that it's, uh, it's silly for me to talk about the importance of one verse or one passage or one chapter over others because everything in the Word of God um, is, uh, is important. Praise God. I was, uh, uh, me and the Lord, I, you know, He's just patient with me and I, He's patient with all of us. Thank God for that, you know, but... Um, Part of my Bible reading this morning was over in the book of Leviticus, and the subheading was um, what to do with bodily fluids. You know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, really, you know, I mean, it's so, but again, that's important. It's, it's Old Testament. There's, you know, there's, if you look closely in all of that, the cleansing and the purging of the houses, the, 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 the ceremonies that the lepers went through once they were cleansed of their leprosy, all of that is pointing to Jesus. So there's, there's great value in those things. I mean, no disrespect, Father, or anybody else that I may have just offended. Um, but I'd much rather read Ephesians, you know, than uh, what to do uh, if somebody's got mold in their house, you know, in the Old Testament. But anyway, praise God. It's all important. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Uh, so again, it's a bit silly to talk about, you know, one being better than or more important than because they all have their individual value and application. But when it comes to John, the third chapter, uh, these are among the 13 most important verses in the Bible. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is because of the subject matter, uh, what Jesus reveals to us here. The other reason for that is, although we have it reinforced later uh, by the epistles, um, John, the, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle John, uh, was the only uh, apostle inspired by the Holy Spirit to record this conversation. Now, we'll talk more about John later, but if, you know, of the twelve disciples, Jesus had an inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John, and of Peter, James, and John, John was the one who was the closest to him. If you read the Scriptures carefully, you, you'll see that uh, confirmed. And so perhaps that's the reason why John recorded this when the other gospel writers did not. Perhaps he was there when they were somewhere else doing something else. Or maybe we know this conversation took place at night that's recorded in John chapter 3. And we know from other places that uh, these men were prone to, uh, to getting sleepy. So maybe the rest of them were asleep. I don't know any of that. But I do know this. I am so thankful for the truth and understanding that the Holy Spirit provided for us in John chapter 3, beginning at verse number 1. So let's, um, let's do that uh, tonight. Let's go to John chapter 3, praise God. And we'll begin uh, <clears throat> with verse number 1. All right, It says this, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, 
Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, let's, um, <clears throat> let's do this. I... Amen. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading me. Let's just stop right here. I was going to read all 13 verses and then come back and comment. Let's do it a little bit different. Let's just work our way through. Because there are some details here that are going to take me a minute to give you, but the details uh, really help this passage and this conversation uh, come more alive to us. And I think it's extremely important for this passage to come alive to us. So, first of all, let's talk about what is a Pharisee. Um, a Pharisee uh, was a, a, a sect, S-E-C-T, or we could say a division. We might better understand it in Christianity as a denomination, although that's stretching something to fit there. But think about Christianity, and you've got the Baptists, and you've got the Assemblies of God, and you've got the Word of Faith. You know, so you know, those are different uh, families, if you will, or, or divisions, if you will, uh, within the, the greater umbrella of uh, Christianity. Well, the Jewish religion, religion, Judaism, had some of those same divisions among their leadership. And what we see, of course, is three of the key ones uh, were Sadducees, Pharisees, and the Essenes. Okay? So, if you, just to go through that real quickly, the Essenes, think of John the Baptist. They were kind of the extreme, the the, the uh, uh, you know, just go after it wide open, you know, kind of folks. The Sadducees, um, they were uh, very refined. They were very wealthy. Uh, most of them were. Uh, they had a different belief than, say, the Pharisees, for example. The Sadducees did not believe uh, in the supernatural. They didn't believe in miracles, and they did not believe in the resurrection. Okay? So then you have the Pharisees. It's important to understand how the Pharisees developed. The Pharisees developed as a sect in Judaism because they identified that the common man was not being served properly uh, with, the, with the Word and the truth uh, of God. Um, the uh, Essenes were, you know, I'm generally speaking here, but they for the most part were kind of extreme. The uh, the Sadducees were kind of uppity, and you know, somewhere lost in all of that was the common man, the average man. And so, you know, like any uh, movement, you know, it began uh, with a with a pure heart, uh, in the in the sense that the Pharisees uh, developed as a sect to be able to, you know, present the word of God, the truth of God, to the common man, so that the common man could benefit from it. It's interesting to note that the Pharisees um, did believe in the supernatural. They did believe, for instance, in, in, in what we would call demonology or the casting out of demons. Um, and we also see that they believed in the resurrection of the dead. This is uh, an interesting point. They believed in the resurrection of the dead, but they believed that if it was possible, the resurrection would have to take place within a three-day window. In other words, if someone died... Uh, a clock started ticking, and that person could be raised from the dead as long as it was done, uh, you, you know, with what, 72 hours, within three, a three-day period. This is why 
for those of you who have been confused by this over the years, this is why Jesus waited to the fourth day to go raise Lazarus from the dead. If you do the math on the, on the Lazarus story, uh, the, how long it would take to get from where Lazarus was in Bethany to where Jesus was, um, and when he actually died, uh, the scriptures are very clear. Lazarus was dead uh, before those folks got back uh, to his home in, in, there in Bethany. So Jesus waited, not because he was testing their faith, but because he was trying to show the Pharisees that with God, remember what he said, with God all things are possible. They believed, again, because Lazarus had been dead four days, that it was impossible for him to be resurrected. And of course we know that Jesus resurrected him. Now we also see that as a Pharisee, this would have been a position that Nicodemus trained for his entire life. Um, it, you know, some Pharisees could quote the Old Testament backwards. They didn't just memorize it. They could start at the last book and, and quote it backwards. That's, that's how uh, diligent they were in the study of, of God's Word. They, they carried a tremendous amount of respect they carried a tremendous amount of influence and power both over the people, that's why it's referred, he's referred to as a ruler of the Jews, but not just over the people, their, they, their word and their position carried a lot of weight politically as well. Now, I said that the Pharisees began, you know, at least from my research, uh, you know, with good intentions to get the Word of God to the common man. But like so many uh, things that begin with good intentions, somewhere along the way, they got off track. And it was the Pharisees, more than, than any other sect of Judaism, that was bound and determined to see Jesus executed. I think part of that had to do with they prided themselves in being uh, the champion of the common man, and Jesus basically came in and exposed uh, that they were not really the champion of the common man after all, uh, and, uh, and that he was. And, um, and we're seeing some of that uh, same dynamic take place uh, in, in our nation today, uh, in the sense that uh, you know, a political party has, has you know, prided themselves in being the champion of the common man, but they're being exposed as, uh, as, as that not necessarily being the case. And we're seeing a lot of uh, hatred and vitriol uh, because of that. Um, and I'm not going to apologize for speaking politically. I, got, I told everybody who I was voting for Sunday morning, and, and, uh, and I don't mind telling you, I'm, I'm voting for unborn children and for Israel. Uh, and uh, if you don't know what that means, then you're not an informed voter and God's going to hold you accountable for your vote, so you might want to do a little research as to what these folks believe in before you cast your ballot in November. Amen. So we see that the Pharisees had power and influence you know, over God's people in the financial realm, in the political realm, and they were a picture of a piety. Um, you know, to give you some idea, when the Bible says in the Old Testament, to not let uh, the, the Word of God depart from your eyes. Uh, they developed these headdresses, uh, and they were called frontlets, and there was this thing that dangled out in front of their face, and they would have Bible verses on the cards. That, that's how 
you know, uh, legalistic they were when it came to keeping the law. So when Nicodemus comes to Jesus uh, by cover of night, he's coming, uh, you know, secretively, not in as coming by night as opposed to coming in broad open daylight, because the the word had already gone out uh, to those you know in Judaism that if they align themselves with Jesus that they would be put out of the synagogue. So you have to understand a little bit about this man, uh, Nicodemus, to understand what he was risking when he had this meeting with Jesus, when he came to seek audience with Jesus. He was putting a career, he was putting his reputation, he was putting his livelihood, he was putting... Uh, you know, something that he had uh, been selected for and worked hard towards his entire life. And we see then that there was curiosity on his part. There were unanswered questions on his part that were more than just passing dalliances. They were more, they were more than just, you know, well, I wonder, but I don't know. These were things that I believe... Uh, you know, kept him up at night, so to speak, uh, either literally or figuratively. And so he comes to Jesus because he's got to know some answers and he's got to know them for himself. So he comes to Jesus by night, verse 2, and he says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. All right, so let's put on the brakes for a minute. He says, we know. So he didn't just say, I know, and I don't believe he was being falsely humble here. I believe that Nicodemus was a part of a group of Pharisees, a part of a group of religious leaders, ruler of the Jews, who weren't convinced like the majority of Pharisees were that Jesus was a phony, that Jesus uh, was um, not, you know, they, they said everything about him. That, how, they said Jesus was a demon-possessed Samaritan. And that, you know, think about... Think about the validation of Jesus' miracles when His arch enemies couldn't deny that what He was doing was a miracle. They never suggested that you know, these were people faking healing. Uh, they, it was obvious to them that uh, well-known maladies were healed. Uh, people who had been demon-possessed for decades were set free. So they, they couldn't say that, oh, it's just fake, it's not real. Um, like many people do in our day and age to dismiss uh, you know, miracles and, and healing and things of that nature. So instead they said that Jesus did these things, but He did not do them by the power of God. He did them by the power of the devil, that He cast out demons by the prince of demons. Well, clearly Nicodemus wasn't sold on that. He, he didn't buy into that. And so again, Rabbi... We know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So the word signs here literally means miracles or or supernatural works. Sometimes you see this word signs accompanied with the word wonders. Signs and wonders. Things that when you witness them, it would cause you you know, a miracle that you witnessed that would cause you to wonder, right? Um, sometimes people would, would witness 
miracles performed by Jesus, and they would leave saying something like this, um, we've never seen anything like this, not in all of Israel. It, it, was, it was causing them uh, to uh, evaluate uh, their own lives, their own faith, uh, their own understanding of who God is and what He is uh, capable of doing, po- you know, possible for Him to do. So again, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with Him. Notice how this flies in the face of the religious establishment's uh, party line answer, uh, you know, where they get together and tell everybody what to say. Um, Nicodemus wasn't buying it. He knew that God had to be with Jesus in order for Jesus to do the miracles that Nicodemus had personally witnessed Him doing. Now, I need you to file something kind of somewhere right in here in the front part of your mind because we're going to come back to this But you've got to remember now, what was the pressing, urgent answer or the pressing, urgent question that Nicodemus had for this man that he knew was at least a rabbi named Jesus. He saw Jesus do miracles that he could not explain but knew that God had to be with him uh, in order for Jesus to do what he was doing. So it, it would help us let me just spend another minute right here, it, or so. It, it would help us if, if, if you, you know, have some baseline understanding of, of what things were like in Nicodemus' day. We talked about those offices of ministry in the Old Testament. We talked about, remember, the prophet, the priest, and the king. And we said that the priest went before God on behalf of the people, but the prophet went before or to the people on behalf of God. If you're going to talk about like speaking, the priest spoke to God on people's behalf. The prophet spoke to people on God's behalf. And we also see that these prophets were anointed with a portion of God's Spirit and power on them and that they did miracles. So this was one of the things that people wondered about Jesus. Was He a prophet? In other words, was he operating and was he able to do these things uh, as another prophet? You see, Jesus is bringing in the New Testament. New Testament wasn't in their vocabulary. You know, it wasn't like Nicodemus said, are you a New Testament prophet? No, he didn't know that. As far as he was concerned, there had been no prophets active for, you know, what was it, 300 plus years. Uh, But now maybe finally uh, there, there is a prophet. They just didn't know. Uh, but they knew that somehow he was doing miracles and it had to be by the power of God. So if you understand how a religious mind works, a religious mind likes to categorize uh, everything and everybody. Are you hearing me? <laughs> a, a religious mind likes to uh, you know, not just have a place for everything and everything in its place. A religious mind likes to have a place for everybody and everybody in their place. And so they're trying to figure out, you know, what place to give Jesus. What, what do we call Him? You know, what is He? Uh, who is He? Um, and, and so, you know, these were the things that uh, drew Nicodemus to Jesus. And as I like to say, Jesus is about to answer for him the question that he doesn't know how to ask. Um, 
And so that's what we uh, find in verse number 3. So Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, remember, when you see most assuredly, this is the New King James Version. Uh, King James Version, it may be translated verily, verily. When Jesus says most assuredly, this means He's about to tell you something that doesn't seem possible, but it's 100% possible. When Jesus says most assuredly, He's fixing to say something to you that is so extreme and so beyond anything that you've heard or believed up until that point that He's, he's you know, confirming before He ever says it that this is indeed the truth, no matter how bold or how extreme it may sound. So Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, Nicodemus, I'm, I'm not kidding you here. This is not you know, some ridiculous statement. Most assuredly, what I'm telling you is the truth. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, there are a few things here that we need to bring up on the table before we move forward. Jesus is answering the question that Nicodemus either doesn't know how to ask or doesn't just want to spit it out and come right out and say it. What is the underlying question based upon what he said in his opening statement to Jesus? No one can do the miracles that you do unless God is with him. So Jesus says, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now I imagine probably at this point, you know, Nicodemus, remember, he's very educated. He, he is, um, you know, he's a man of great wealth, a man of great power, a, a, a great influence. And, and, and so now this, you know, carpenter of questionable birth uh, from Nazareth, uh, he's put everything on the line to have this conversation with him. And it, on the surface, seems like Jesus comes out of left field with an answer. But he's not coming out of left field. He is precisely answering the question that is in Nicodemus's heart. So let me give you a brief explanation. Nicodemus is wanting Jesus to say, okay, you caught me. I'm a prophet, but when God called me, He wanted me to kind of keep it quiet for a while. You know, he was, I think Nicodemus was expecting some kind of answer like that. And, and Nicodemus would have looked at him and grin and say, we knew it. We knew you were a prophet. You know? But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, uh, sir, unless you're born again, you'll never see how I'm able to do these miracles. Unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God because what you're seeing take place among you and in front of you, what you've witnessed, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the crippled walking, the dead being raised, what you're seeing is not a specially appointed anointed man uh, operating the office of the prophet, but you are literally witnessing the kingdom of God, the kingdom of my Father breaking through in the earth. Okay? So Jesus is signifying here that the miracles that He is doing, He is doing by the power, the authority, and the resources of the kingdom of God. And he said to Nicodemus, unless you're born again, 
you'll never be able to see it. It'll never see doesn't just mean see, you know, physically, visibly see. Nicodemus had seen the miracles, but he has yet to understand or visibly see. You know, think about, you know, you're trying to explain something to somebody and they go, man, I just can't see it. The idea here is that he couldn't wrap his mind around it. He couldn't wrap his heart around it. And Jesus said, you'll never be able to unless you're born again. Now, time out. If you've been born again, guess what this means? This means you have the ability, you have the capacity to see the kingdom of God, to understand uh, the source of all that God is doing, uh, the authority behind all that God is doing in your life and ultimately through your life in the world around you. So, let's keep going here now. Verse number 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Nicodemus, this is confusing him. He's like, you know, it's almost like, Whoa, Jesus, where did that come from? And that has nothing to do in my mind. I'm sure he's probably, you know, thought something like this. It's nothing to do in my mind with why I'm here to talk to you, but since you brought it up, how can a full-grown man go back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? Jesus, verse 5, Jesus answered most assuredly, there it is again, I know this is hard for you to believe, Nicodemus. I know this is hard for you to comprehend. But what I'm telling you is 100% true. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Okay? Now, wow, there's a lot to talk about here. And keep in mind, keep in mind, in the days ahead, we're going to revisit these verses. uh, And just to give you some idea, we'll probably spend two or three classes on what it means to be born again. So I'm just touching on some of these things now to, to, to give you an overview and to orient you. Remember, we're talking about ministry. We're talking about every born again believer being called to do the work of the ministry. We're talking about our willingness to step out into ministry uh, being a critical component of our ability to continue to, to grow and develop spiritually. If we refuse to do anything towards serving God and serving others and serving God by serving others, then it's going to cap our ability to grow and develop into the greater things of God. All right? so, but there's some beautiful things here that I want you to see. Remember again, you haven't just been saved so you go to heaven when you die. That's what a lot of people think. And, and these passages not only provide such a beautiful explanation and foundation for our salvation and, and what that really means and what it looks like, but it also points uh, you know, towards the end. It, it points to uh, the, the purpose for our salvation being our position now to effectively participate in Father's business and represent His interest and His ministry in the earth. All right, so let's get back to our passages here. Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, it goes without saying that to be born again uh, is how Jesus first explained it, or first declared it. And then Nicodemus says, born a second time. So if you're born again or born a second time, it only makes sense that you've been born once or you've been born the first time. 
And this is what Jesus is saying uh, in verse 5, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. Being born of water means a physical birth. To be born of water, uh, in other words, when you were born, your mama's water broke. Okay, um, So to be born of water is speaking of being born of the flesh or being born physically. But notice he says, unless you're born of water and the Spirit. So he's given us the first birth and the second birth. To be born the first time means to be born of the flesh or to be born of water. To be born the second time means to be born of the Spirit. Okay? So obviously, if, if an individual person has never been born physically, then they don't exist to be born spiritually, right? So you can't be born a, a second time until you're born the first time. Amen? All right. So, man, sometimes I'm sensitive about these things. You say, well, well Pastor Mark, you know, what about a, a child that's, uh, that, you know, an infant that dies or whatever? I believe they're all in heaven. I believe the 58 million plus babies that have been aborted uh, in the United States of America uh, since Roe v. Wade are in heaven. Amen. So I'm talking about, amen, people, you know, age of accountability, the ability to make these decisions. If I'm being hypersensitive to these things, uh, you forgive me, but I just want to clarify, uh, you know, that. You say, well, if, if they haven't been born the first time, then that means they haven't been born the second time. If they haven't been born the second time, they, they're in hell. Absolutely not. That's another subject for another day. All right, let's get back focused here. Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So the idea here is that being born a second time not only positions us to see, understand, recognize um, the kingdom of God, but being born a second time is how we actually enter the kingdom. So once again, this is good news. If you've been born again, you have entered into the kingdom. You are now a part of that kingdom. You are still, you are now a citizen of that kingdom. And then he just, as Jesus, such a brilliant communicator, he emphasizes and sums up in verse 6: that which is born of the flesh, that which is born physically, is flesh. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit, capital S. So this is Holy Spirit, is spirit. Now, Nicodemus made a classic mistake here. And it's a mistake that people continue to make to this day. And the mistake is, he failed to consider that we are multidimensional beings. In other words, he tried to understand something spiritual by only considering things that are physical. And the Bible's very clear. The Word of God is spirit, and therefore must be spiritually discerned. So when, when Jesus says, unless you're born a second time, because Nicodemus only thought one-dimensionally, he only thought in terms of the dimensions of the flesh, then he's trying to understand something that's spiritual with a, uh, a flesh-only uh, or flesh-first uh, mindset. And of course, Jesus is setting him straight here. There's a difference between things that are born of the flesh, and there's a difference between things which are born of the Spirit. So let's read verse 6, and we'll, this time we'll go on through into verse uh, 7. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Do not marvel 
that I said to you, you must be born again. So the idea behind marveling here doesn't mean that we shouldn't be in awe of it or shouldn't appreciate it or shouldn't you know, be thankful or grateful. Um, he's talking about you know, being confused. He's, he's talking about like, you know, there's no way this can, uh, th- that this can uh, you know, be real. So he says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Verse number 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answers back. So you've got this dialogue and, and, and I believe, amen, I, I have spent a lot of time. Somebody asked me a question in the class the other day and I gave him an answer but later, and I need to go back to that class, maybe, you know, as a matter of fact, it was one of my brothers at the foundry uh, uh, that, that, that asked me this question, and they'll be watching this tomorrow. So, um, but anyway, I was asked a question about how is it, you know, because Jesus wants to be your best friend, He wants to do life with you, and so many times we only see Him one-dimensionally in, in, in the either like in stained glass, that's what John Eldred says, you know, it's time to get Jesus out of the one-dimensional stained glass and realize that He's a real person with a real personality. And so I was, I was teaching along those lines, and one of the brothers said, you know, because I could tell the hunger in his heart for that, and he's like, well, Pastor Mark, exactly how do you do that? And of course, I talked to him about the Holy Spirit and all those things. But this is the part that I didn't answer, and I thought about it later. I'm like, Father, did I answer his question correctly? And, and he reminded me of one thing that I left out. And one of the things that I left out is, you have to spend some time using your imagination, um, you know, meditating uh, on these events, meditating on these things. Because what happens when, when we set our hearts and minds to understand, this is, this is like an open door for the Holy Spirit to come alongside and begin to make these things come alive. Now, I know that you know, this may sound silly, but I have spent a good bit of time you know, trying to imagine every detail possible uh, about this conversation. About, you know, like the expressions on their faces. Where were they? Um, for some reason, I, I, I picture them in a courtyard, outdoors but, but behind a wall. <laughs> they could have been in somebody's house. I don't know. But I'm just trying to show you that, you know, these are the things that, that you know, as we really, you know, just use the imagination that we were given to try to picture these things as, because they really happened. This conversation really happened. I believe that you know, Father in Heaven has you know, videos of these things that, that one day, uh, if you don't believe me, that's fine. You know, you'll see them right when we get there. That we can literally go in. If you want to watch this conversation when it took place, uh, that it's recorded in Heaven. If, if you think I'm out of line on that, where do we get this as parents wanting to record every, every detail um, uh, about our children, uh, about our grandchildren. Uh, listen, this may sound silly to you. Um, I got, I forget how many, how many pictures was it, Pam, that you sent me the other day? She sent me three pictures of a potty chair with, with pee-pee in it, right? Because Oliver is potty training, right? I mean, we want to we preserve every detail. We, we get rejoice over everything, photographs, videos, all these things. Where do we get that from? We get that from our Heavenly Father. So you, you can't tell me that these things aren't in the family video album of every... 
how about this one? Malachi says that when people get together to talk about the things of God, that, that Father God records in heaven every word that's spoken and every person that's present. In other words, somewhere in heaven, there is a record of every person that is watching this uh, class right now. You know, here on earth, role for this class is the honor system. But I'm telling you, there is a role being kept in heaven. It's so important to our Heavenly Father that people assemble together in His name and talk about Him and His Word and His truth that He marks it in heaven. He records it in heaven. He, he even writes down who participated in heaven. So if, if, if we know about those detailed of records, then can you only imagine the detailed records of Jesus' earthly ministry? So, amen, maybe I, there I go down one of those little pig trails. But hear me, please. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you, you know, be a fly on the wall when these conversations, these miracles, these different events are taking place. Try to you know, ask Him to show you, you know, the looks on people's faces, the setting, and, and these kinds of things. The Holy Spirit was there. He knows all about it. He can begin to help you. Uh, but what this does, again, it, it makes these things real. It makes them come alive uh, you know, in, inside of you and, and, and in your heart uh, and, and in your mind and thinking. Um, so anyway, praise God. I believe at this point, the conversation is, is getting a little bit intense. Um, in other words, it starts out, you know, maybe kind of casual. Hey, you know, Jesus, thank you for seeing me tonight. Um, you know, listen, I know you know who I am. I'm a Pharisee. You've probably seen me kind of in the background watching you. <laughs> you know, and, and listen, I just want you to know that, that we know that you're from God because of the miracles that you do. And, and um, if God wasn't with you, then there's no way. Man, like the other day, you know, that, that, that kid that, um, you know, only had, you know, part of a foot. Uh, I, I was there when, when that kid was, was born. I, I mean, his parents were devastated. Um, and and I, I watched his foot grow out in his sandal right in front of me. So I know, and there was that, that's, that's kind of where this, I think, the tone of this, right? And Jesus just, you know, being polite and kind, lets him kind of have his say. And then Jesus says, well, you know, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. Um, and, and, you know, and then Nicodemus is like, I could just almost like, what? You know, uh, how can a man when he's old, this doesn't make sense to me, Jesus. And Jesus says, well, most assuredly, unless you're born of water, you know, Jesus is very confident, very casual. Um, and um, he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel. And so, I believe it's, it's kind of building at this point. And then Nicodemus, think about what he's saying here. How can these things be? Now, I may have it completely wrong, but I don't think Nicodemus is going, hmm, how can these things be? Right? I believe he's like, come on, Jesus. How can these things be? You say, what makes you think that? Well, listen to what Jesus fires right back at him in verse 10. Are you a teacher of Israel? and don't know these things. Most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know, and we testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. Alright? If I've told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? 
So this is, again, I'm not trying to say Jesus was being ugly or hateful or mean to this man. There wasn't an ugly, hateful, mean bone in his body. But Jesus is like, you know, he's, he's kind of, it's very hard for a Pharisee not to feel like they're better than the person that they're talking to. That was just their modus operandi, you know. And, and, and so now all of a sudden Jesus is like talking to him about things that he doesn't understand. You're not supposed to catch a, a Pharisee flat-footed. And so he's like, none of this makes sense to me. And Jesus, what is implied in verse 10? Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? In other words, Jesus isn't letting him off the hook here. Jesus is like, you're a leader of God's people. You, you're, you're the one that's responsible for teaching God's people the truth and the wisdom and the ways of God. And, and you're telling me you don't understand the difference between something that's, that's flesh and fleshly in nature and something that's spirit or spiritual in nature. Wow. Now, let's come back to this. We, we've got to go back into uh, verses, let's go 7 and 8 and 9. Let's put those back up right quick. Amen. All right. Verse number 8 is another key verse. There's key phrases and key verses in this passage. Verse number 8 is a, is a huge one. It's, it's, a, it's a huge one for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's huge because it's speaking of you and me. In other words, whatever the first part of this verse means, <laughs> and a lot of people scratch their heads when they read it, all right? Whatever the first part of this verse means, it's true about you because Jesus says what He says about the wind and then He says, new sentence, hard stop, new sentence, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So, I'm starting with the last part first. Jesus is saying that this is not only true about Him, but it's also true about every single person who's born of the Spirit. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Not so are the apostles who are born of the Spirit. He did not say so are the pastors or evangelists who are born of the Spirit. He said this is true of everyone who is born of the Spirit. So what did He say? He said this in verse 8, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Okay? Now, let's start to kind of unpack this. We are, uh, for those of you who are watching, you know, other parts of the United States, we've got some folks that are, that are watching in other countries. Maybe you've seen it on the news, but, but we had a, uh, a hurricane come ashore, uh, I don't know, what is it, about three, 400 miles from where we are here in uh, Hueytown, Alabama. Uh, but late yesterday, we were getting some pretty strong wind, that many miles away, it hadn't even come ashore yet. Uh, we were getting some pretty strong wind. So, you know, I got home yesterday evening it was before dark. I'm, I'm sitting there uh, in my house eating some supper with Pam, and I look outside and I see the trees moving in my backyard, okay? Now, I didn't jump up and run out there to see who was shaking the large oak tree in my backyard. I knew that it was the wind making it move. I couldn't see the wind, 
Wind is something that you can't see with the physical eyes, but you can see the results that are produced by the wind. So what Jesus is saying here is, the wind blows where it wishes, you can hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. What is he he pointing out? Are you ready? So here he is. I've got it somewhere in my notes. Let me find it. Jesus is talking about visible signs from an invisible source. Visible signs, signs means miracles, visible signs from an invisible source. Now, I asked you a moment ago, and I kind of did my hand up in here just to make a mark in, in your mind. I asked you a moment ago to keep something up here in the front of your mind. And it was the, the urgent curiosity, whatever we want to call it, that attracted Nicodemus to this conversation in the first place. Remember what he said. We know that you are a man come from God because no man can do the miracles that you do unless God is with him. In other words, his, his, what he's wanting to ask Jesus is, are you a prophet? What he's wanting to ask Jesus is, how are you able to do these miracles? Let's not forget, let's not forget that a Pharisee believed in miracles. A Pharisee believed in signs and wonders. They even believed in the resurrection of the dead. That doesn't mean they've ever seen one. That doesn't mean they've ever, ever accomplished one. But these were men who prayed for people to be healed. We don't know if they ever saw anybody healed. We don't know if they ever saw anybody uh, you know, experience a demon being cast out of them. I, for one, my opinion, and anytime I'm giving my opinion, I'm going to wave the red flag and say this is my opinion, but my opinion is that even though they believed in these things, like many born-again believers today, they ain't never seen it. They've never seen a miracle. They've never seen anybody healed. They've never experienced uh, somebody have a demon cast out of them. And I believe that was where Nicodemus was. I believe, remember, a true Pharisee had a heart for the common man. A true Pharisee wanted to see the, the common people who were being overlooked by the, by the upper hierarchy of, 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 of their religion, right? Uh, being uh, taken advantage of. And, and so I believe he's like, look, Jesus, you know, you're a carpenter from Nazareth and you're, you're performing miracles you know, how are you doing it? I, would, I, think, I think in Nicodemus' heart is, he wanted to be able to do it too. He wanted to be able to help sick children too. He wanted to be able to, to, to set the captive free himself. And, and again, we don't have any proof of that other than um, what Phariseeism began as and, 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 and what uh, you know, was the driving force behind it, at least uh, initially. All right. I'm getting excited. So Jesus is saying that it's visible signs from an invisible source. Nicodemus was seeing the wind move the leaves and the branches on the tree, but he wasn't seeing the wind. In other words, he was seeing the miracles, but he wasn't seeing where the miracles were coming from. We're talking about visible signs, visible miracles being produced from an invisible source. He's already told us what the invisible source is. The invisible source is His Father's kingdom. The miracles are being performed. The miracles are being produced, not because Jesus is operating in the model of the Old Testament prophet, but because Jesus is operating as one who is in the kingdom of God and has access to the resources of that kingdom. 
the, the healing resources, the financial resources. I mean, Jesus is filling nets with fish. Jesus is feeding thousands of people with a little boy's fish and chips. Jesus is, is casting out demons. He's, he's doing all these amazing signs and wonders. And He's doing it not as an Old Testament prophet. And you say He's doing it as the Son of God. Wrong! Please stick around and let me teach you this. He did not do it as the Son of God. He did it as a man in right standing with God, full of the Holy Spirit, operating out of the resources of, of Father God's kingdom. So it's visible signs from an invisible source. Why is this so important? It's not just important for us to recognize it as being a part of Jesus' ministry, but remember what He said after He said this whole thing. Once again, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. If you've been born of the Spirit, you have the same access to kingdom authority, kingdom wealth, kingdom uh, resources that Jesus had. Nicodemus, you can't see the wind. You can only see what the wind produces. And because you're not born again, you can't see the kingdom and you'll never be able to see it and you'll much less enter into it unless you're born again. But everyone who's born of the Spirit is able to produce visible signs from a source that other people are unable to see. Wow. All right, now, you still with me? Praise God. Yes, you are. And by faith, you are. All right, now, let's go back. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go back. I put seven, eight, and nine up here again. So we're going to make the run. I want you to kind of get oriented to these things. We've just got a few more minutes. Praise God, it's going by fast tonight. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? How can these things be? I didn't put all those up there. All right. How can these things be? Verse 10. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Here comes the third most assuredly. Most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. Now, <laughs> remember in the first uh, part of this conversation, Nicodemus didn't use I, he used we. Rep in other words, he's talking about, I believe, a group of Pharisees that shared some of the same concerns um, that the rest of the Pharisees had it wrong about Jesus. Now Jesus says, now Jesus says, we speak what we know. Well, who's the we here? Well, you could say Jesus and His disciples, and certainly they did speak as He gave them words to speak, but because this W is capitalized, we speak what we know, He's not just talking about Himself. He's talking about we, meaning Himself, the Holy Spirit, and His Father. Now, if we were going to really solidify this in, in, in Scripture, I would take you to all the different places where Jesus said things like, I can do nothing of myself. I do nothing unless my Father tells me to do it. I don't say anything unless my Father tells me to say it. So Jesus was not out here doing His own thing. Everything that He did, every word that He spoken, uh, every miracle that He performed, uh, His Father 
was working and the Holy Spirit was working together with him. So when he says, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness, what is he saying? Well, Jesus is saying, look, Nicodemus, I, I came from another world. That's, just hear me out on this one. I'm not trying to confuse you. He's saying, I, I, I came from another world and, and I'm here to testify to you of, of what we have seen. In other words, I'm here to, I'm here to tell you uh, a, a, about a world that is beyond the one that you exist in. I'm here to try to open your eyes uh, to my Father's kingdom and, and the power and the authority that's, that's in that kingdom. But here's the problem. Um, I have told you about that kingdom and I've told you what I know about it and what, what we've seen about it and you have not received Again, he went from we to our. You've not received our witness. You, 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 you haven't, are you ready for this? You haven't taken to heart anything that I've said. Now, this tells me that Nicodemus had listened to Jesus teach. Or else Jesus wouldn't have said this. He would have said, well, look, Nicodemus, I know you've never heard me talk about things you know, pertaining to the kingdom of heaven. So let me just tell you some of the things that I've been covering with other people. No, Nicodemus was there. He, he had heard Jesus speak on these things, but Nicodemus had not received the testimony or the witness that Jesus delivered backed by God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things. Now, one of the things that I want to draw your attention to when you study the Scriptures, especially uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is all the times that Jesus said something to this effect. The kingdom of heaven is like, and then He would tell a story. The kingdom of heaven is like, and then he would tell another story. He'd tell a story about a man who planted some seeds. He'd tell a story about a, uh, a woman who lost a coin. He would tell us a story about a man who had two sons. He would tell us a story about a vineyard owner who went to hire day laborers. He, he was telling stories that people could relate to. We call them parables. He would speak to the people in parables. But every parable was meant to communicate truth and wisdom from heaven, from another world. Isaiah says that, the, that the, the, the wisdom of God is above the wisdom of man. It's, it's higher than. And so Jesus came to this earth to teach you and me the higher than, the greater than wisdom of God, right? But because there's a huge gap between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man, Jesus would communicate the wisdom of God or wisdom pertaining to the kingdom of heaven. He would communicate that wisdom to us through the vehicle, through the means of a parable. In other words, He would tell us something from our world. He would tell us something that, 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 that we could relate to planting seed, uh, having you know, sons, uh, that are wayward, you know, losing something that was precious to you. He would tell us something uh, from His world by packaging it in something 
that we could relate to in our world. Now this is important, right? So what is he saying? He's saying, Nicodemus, up until this point, everything that I've told you from my world, I've used something from your world to compare it to. A parable, a comparable. I've used something from your world that you could relate to and, and use that as, as a springboard uh, to take the step of faith that's required if you're ever going to embrace the Word of God, the truth of God, the wisdom of God. But here's the thing, Nicodemus. Everything that I've told you from my world, using something from your world to, to, to explain it, you haven't received it. You haven't believed it. You haven't accepted our witness. So if I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you something from my world that there's nothing in your world to compare it to. I've told you earthly things you do not believe. How will you believe if I tell you something that is just straight up otherworldly? In other words, there's, there's, no, there's no parable that will do it justice. There's, there's no illustration that I can use to, to make sense of it. Okay, That's, that's what's being uh, stated here. And then guess what Jesus is going to do? He's going to straight up tell him something from his world that there's nothing in our world, no story, no parable that we can use to get us even close to making sense of it. It's verse 13. This is what Jesus says to Nicodemus. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. crickets in the room. I don't know if there's crickets where you are right now. In other words, in other words, silence, right? This, I mean, now let's look at something underlying here. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Nicodemus was a hungry man and Jesus wasn't going to leave him uh, unsatisfied. In other words, he, he, was, he, he came looking for answers and Jesus is going to give him answers. Alright? And so Jesus says to him, Everything I've told you so far, I've had a parable to, uh, you know, we, uh, uh, if we ever give Colonel uh, our puppy, our Yorkshire Terrier, if we ever give our little Yorkie medicine, we wrap it in cheese and then, you know, put the cheese down and he just engulfs, you know, gobbles up the cheese and doesn't realize that he just took, you know, some medicine. And so Jesus... Not that his parables were cheesy, but he would take truth and wrap it in cheese. You know, something that would appeal to people, something that would interest people. And, and, and he's trying to slip in uh, that parable wisdom from his world. Nicodemus, you came asking me about the miracles and how I do them. And here is the absolute answer that you're looking for but there's no parable I can wrap this in. There's no cheese that I can put around this to make it easier for you to understand or more palatable for you to, um, to consume. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell you anyway. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, let's take it a little bit at a time. 
First of all, if you're not familiar with the word ascended, that means to go up. So he's saying that there's no one on the earth who has gone up to heaven but the Son of Man who came down from heaven. Now that doesn't mean that people don't go to heaven. So don't get that idea. Jesus is trying to explain to Nicodemus and to you and me the unique position that He occupied. So no one's ascended up to heaven, but He who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus is the Son of Man. Where was Jesus when He was saying this to Nicodemus? He was standing right in front of Nicodemus, which, mean, he, which means He was standing right here on the earth. But Jesus says that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. So how are we to understand this? What Jesus was saying to Nicodemus and what Jesus is saying tonight to you and me is that He was touching two worlds at the same time. That Jesus was here upon the earth, but while He was here upon the earth, He was also in heaven. He was here, but He was there at the same time. Meaning Jesus was in a unique position to touch heaven and earth simultaneously. Now, this is significant because once again, Jesus was not doing miracles based upon the Old Testament model of of an anointed prophet, but Jesus was doing miracles as someone who who had become a bridge between the needs on planet earth and the resources in heaven itself. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, I'm here, but while I'm here, I'm there, and I'm there, and while I'm there, I'm here, and because I'm there and I'm here at the same time, I've become a portal through which the power and the authority and, 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 the, and, the, and the resources of my Father's kingdom can flow from Him into me and from me into the earth around me. Jesus was in a unique position to touch heaven and earth at the same time. And guess what? Our salvation has now placed us in that same position. You see, your salvation, and and this is why this is so sad, and, and I don't like giving the enemy any credit whatsoever, but this is an area where he has been successful in deceiving the body of Christ, but in Jesus' name, we are coming against his lies, and we are preaching the truth concerning these things because here's the reality. It's not about you getting into heaven one day when you die. Don't misunderstand me. I believe heaven is a real place. I believe should Jesus tarry His return to the earth by way of rapture, if we go by way of the grave or if we go by way of the rapture, that we will be in heaven one day. But again, our focus on that is premature. If you've been born again, the Bible teaches that you're already in heaven. And I'll show it to you in just a moment. So we've got to shift our focus from salvation being about getting into heaven. You've been saved for a purpose. What is that purpose? The purpose is not just to get you into heaven one day when you die, but the purpose of your salvation is to get heaven into you so that Father can get heaven into the earth. Remember, Jesus taught us to pray, Father, Your kingdom come, Your will be done right here on earth as it is in heaven. So meaning the body of Christ, their only understanding of heaven again, is where we go when we die. No, 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 my friend. There's something so much greater, so much more powerful and important than that. Alright, one last 
pack of verses. And we'll close it down for tonight. Amen. And then get geared up for evening worship here at Heritage. Praise God. I'm excited about that too. But amen. Let me stay focused right here. Ephesians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn there. I'll give you a moment. Praise God. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2. When you find it, I want you to look at me. Amen. I'm already looking at you through the camera lens. Amen. When you find it, I want you to look at me. All right? You may be like Nicodemus tonight. You may need a lot of most assuredly from the Holy Spirit, but most assuredly, everything that I have said to you from the Gospel of John includes you. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. These things may be stretching you. Good. We need to be stretched. We need to be drawn out of our comfortable version of Christianity. We need to be challenged beyond what we think we're capable of as born-again believers in the earth. The enemy does not want the body of Christ to know and understand this truth and this message. He fights it. He fights against it. He doesn't want us to know it. And, and, and I wonder why when you look at Jesus and His understanding of these things, and the absolute mud hole he stomped in the devil, destroying the devil's works everywhere he went. Now, let's finish this with this verse right here. Verse number 4, But God who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, but God who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, but God who is rich in mercy, because of His great love, with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, what did He do? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And notice this next verse. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, in the world, but not of the world. Father, don't take them out of this world as much as you and, and me, and as, you know, as much as you and I, as much as the Holy Spirit, you know, we're going to all be back together as a family. That day's coming, and it'll come soon enough. They're in the world, but they're not of it. Don't take them from this world, but protect them while they're here. You've been saved for a purpose, my friend. Because we've now been placed in this unique position that Jesus found Himself in. An intercessor. One who can stand in the gap between heaven and earth. That holy nation. That royal priesthood. That nation of priests. That generation Christ. Oh, how I pray that these things and the reality of them are manifested in our lives. How we... We'll renew our minds to these truth and, and to these truths and these wisdom, this wisdom from heaven. And that we wouldn't hear it and say amen, but think that we're talking about somebody else. No, my brother, my sister. He's talking to you and he's talking to me. It's not something we have to do, it's something we get to do. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together this evening.
thank you for all that you've done for us, all that you've given to us, all that you've said about us. Lord, you are expanding our truth horizons. You, you are bringing things onto the radar of our hearts, Father, that maybe up until tonight were, were so far beyond us that we never even imagined or even ever even, even heard something like this. And yet, it's right there. If we were to keep reading, we would come to John chapter 3, verse 16, the most popular verse as far as the United States anyway is concerned, maybe in the whole world. And yet, right there, leading up to those verses, Father, is all this truth concerning who we are and what's true about us as your offspring in the earth, as those who've been born of your Spirit. Father, I pray that everything we put our hands to will prosper for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for being with us tonight. Good things coming. We'll be live again with evening worship uh, in just a few minutes at 7 here at Heritage. Um, hey, let's do me a favor, okay? This is an important class. I am sure that just about every person watching knows somebody that could benefit from hearing this class. So your assignment, your mission, should you accept it, is to share this class with somebody. Um, that's one of the key ways that we can begin to serve other people is when the Lord begins to speak to us, then, you know, share that message with other people. And so I'm asking you to do that. Um, let's see uh, this grow uh, exponentially, not for Pastor Mark's glory, but for the glory of God. Amen. I love you. Thank you for being with us tonight. Good things coming to you and yours.